Welcome to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. I'm Erin Frankenheimer, and I'm going to be your host on today's episode. Today we're talking tour tips, funding on tour and advancing a show, specifically what the best practices are for getting the most out of your budget and time on the road. How do you make your life easier when you're on tour and how to show up ready to play when you've booked a gig? Here today to help us learn about the best practices an artist or band needs to take when hitting the road is tour manager Giovanni Vargas. Gio is from New Orleans with parents from Guatemala and Costa Rica. He is a Tulane University graduate, but he spent a lot of time across the street at Loyola University's music business program. In 2005, post-Katrina, he began touring. He has previously toured with artists you may be familiar with, like Fleetwood Mac, Nicki Minaj, Outkast, Usher, and Solange, and is currently working with Playboy Cardi, Lil Uzi Vert, and New Orleans' very own Lil Wayne. To help us better understand this essential component of the industry and how to be a professional on the road, here is Giovanni Vargas. Hi, Gio. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hi, hi. Thanks for having me. Can you please start by giving us a brief rundown on your background, how you became a tour manager, no easy feat, and what led you down this path? The path, uh, I think, started in um, a want to learn uh, promotions and marketing for music. Uh, I was a musician uh, in my own right uh, with a group, and I was trying to figure out ways to make our music, um, or to make people more aware of our music. So promotions just became the natural go-to, and um, that would be a lot of guerrilla marketing, street hand-to-hand flyering, postering, sniping, things of that nature. And so uh, I would do that for nightlife events and I started doing flyering and postering for nightlife events I reached out to um, at that time uh, the reggaeton movement was pretty strong and so I had a few friends in that uh, reggaeton world and so I was trying to find ways to bring uh, companies to New Orleans that don't that didn't necessarily promote in New Orleans I I wanted to try to give them a reason to promote Um, and so by other people seeing me promoting and doing uh, guerrilla marketing, I got asked by some nightlife promoters to promote their event and concerts. Um, I ended up uh, working the event and being more hands-on at the event, and so they brought me on as a full-time promoter with their events. At this time, it was Twiropa, which was where... Uh, Buku Fest happens now, basically. Yeah, that's a great venue. Yeah. Was... I got to see the Black Keys there for $8 once upon a time. Oof, yeah. See, I got to see Duran Duran there. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I became highly involved with Twiropa and um, and the promoters of like their Latin night, their 80s night, or at that point, ladies night. Um, and the promotions world kind of just opened me up to... Uh, small live gigs at our events and then it turned into concerts and then turns into bigger concerts that kind of brought us into festivals and festivals is actually where I ended up meeting a lot of the touring um, friends that I've made uh, throughout the years Um, I worked in festivals for several several years and uh, and luckily was able to mix and mingle with a few people and that turned into some some um, long-term relationships so Awesome. Well, seeing all those bands at festivals and all the acts that you've worked with um, and working in music, we've all seen that band member who doesn't want to help with Loadout or who thinks they're above dealing with the money or advancing a show. 
Um, in inter interviews I've seen you do in the past, you put a lot of emphasis on the importance of having a strong worth e work ethic and on grinding. Can you please share with our listeners what that means to you and why you think it's so important to be professional on the road and to do the work that needs to be done, even if it might not be the sexiest job at the moment? Um, you know, I just, when I was young, I uh, quickly recognized that um, I respected other people's work ethic, uh, especially ones that had good work ethic. And so um, it's kind of one of those respect things. You give respect, you're going to get respect. And so I, I wanted to get respect. And so I wanted to make sure that when people saw me or, or heard of me that they heard good things. Um, even before jumping into the music world, I was, I was actually um, working retail at Krispy Kreme. Uh, and I was also a, um, a waiter at uh, Jefferson Orleans North in Metairie. And so at both of those jobs, I would, um, you know, Krispy Kreme, I ended up learning retail, production, processing, sanitation, you know, every department that there was um, up until the point that I was managing their state route and uh, working on their marketing. Um, same thing with the, the reception hall. I was a you know, handing out hors d'oeuvres as a waiter for weddings and whatnot. And then uh, by the time I stopped there, or stopped working there, which was Katrina, I was uh, the manager of the place. So it's always been this want to understand as much as possible about the the uh, role. And, <clears throat> and then, um, you know, have people then see me in a position like that, and then they want to do the same thing. So... Um, how it translated into the music world is, I mean, I'm first and foremost, I'm a music lover. Um, and so it's kind of living your dream. And so um, you're going to do what you love best. And so I, I've just been doing what I love best. And, and uh, you know, I have um, seen the other end of the spectrum and seeing people who are not, uh, who don't put in who, who have very little to no input, who have uh, very little to no work ethic, who, um, you know, just ultimately uh, will not get invited back on tour because right. they haven't been putting out, you know, they haven't been doing their work. Everyone else is putting in their, their work, and there's obviously one person sticking out of the bunch that isn't, and unfortunately they don't get asked to come back out on tour, and that's just the way it works. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that, that kind of work experience you have at a place like Krispy Kreme or that catering hall, it gives you the tools you need to know that you just jump in where you can and, and where things need to be done. Yeah, I think, you, you know, some, something like that kind of humbles you, um, or at least it did me, in knowing that um, you create value. Um, the more you know, the more value you have or the more value you've created. And so for me personally, um, the more information I got to know, um, about the music industry, the more facets of it that I got to understand, the better, uh, the more prepared I would be for future uh, situations. Yeah, and speaking of being prepared, um, do you have some tips you can share with our listeners about best practices once you've gotten a tour booked and you're scheduled to hit the road? So advancing a show with a venue or venues, what's the best timeline? How best to approach tackling all these variety of things? I mean, equipment, tech writer, hospitality writer... Um, you know, I think there's a happy medium in between being far, far out. I, I 
earlier this morning I was uh, on a phone call advancing for a show September 29th, which is several months away, um, or a couple of months away. Um, it just kind of, um, you know, in my opinion, the advance uh, should be done, you know, a good bit in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh but I also think that it depends on the situation. Like there's a, a client that we're currently working with who um, has luckily sold out every market uh, that she has. And she's uh, she's got a couple secondary shows that we're still working on selling out. But currently, she, you know, the, souls, the shows are sold out. So when you when you approach a promoter, when you approach a buyer, um, then you have a little bit more leverage to say, OK, well, you know, we don't have to worry about how ticket sales are doing. It's already sold out. So there are certain things that we want. Let's let's say catering, for example, or buyouts, or you know, if we uh, if we would like them to provide some type of transportation to and from, it's a little bit easier to ask for those things in an advance once the shows are sold out than it is to do it far in advance because you might get a little bit more pushback on the things that you actually want if the shows aren't selling at at the numbers that you want but in this case they they're they're sold out and and it works in our favor because we can ask for you know a little bit more um in terms of like a that that's technically a a a comedy tour in terms of uh, a music tour it we like to do it a little bit more in advance doesn't always work out that way um for one reason or another but uh we like to do it a good bit in advance so you know, if you do have to um, arrange backline with uh, with the buyer or the promoter, um, it gives them ample time to get all the the necessary tools. Um, sometimes you run short on, um, you know, amps or something like that. Maybe a, a, um, a, the the vendor that you're getting it from doesn't have multiple items of the same thing. If they're so, if they're rented out on another project, then you're going with your second best yeah, um, uh, instrument or or amp or whatever. So if you'd done that in advance, you'd have everything you need. And it just makes it easier for the venue and whoever's running it and for your peace of mind as well. Yeah, you know, I think in that same Loyola interview that I had done, um, I stressed the the importance of the advance because, you know, if, if you have a good advance with the venue, then when you show up on site, it, nothing is a surprise. You've you've tackled every subject that, that there is. Um, and so nothing becomes a surprise. The less surprises you have on show day, the better. And that was my next question was, you know, what are the consequences of not advancing a show or doing a, a poor job of, of advancing a show? If you don't do that um, at any level, what mm-hmm. have you, I guess, uh, do you have a story you could share with us, an example of how things can go wrong? I mean, so many things can go, can <laughs> <Right>. go wrong. <laughs> um, <coughs> but, you know, if, if you don't advance certain things, um, some items might not be uh, on a hospitality rider, for example. Some items might not be as uh, ready, readily accessible um, in one city as they are in other cities. For example, if you're if we're playing a show in uh, Champlain, Illinois, versus playing the show in Chicago, Illinois, it may be easier to get something from a Whole Foods in Chicago because it's two blocks away. Whereas if you need that same item and you didn't advance it properly and you go to Champlain, they're saying, well, it's going to be three hours for us to get to the Whole Foods and then three hours for us to get back. You know, you're losing your runner for the day. That's your runner. That's the one runner that you have. So anything that you needed that runner to do is done. You can't you can't ask them because now they have to go do that one thing that you had that you didn't advance. 
you know, in, in production, there can be a lot of problems if you don't advance correctly. I mean, I think that um, one of the uh, examples that I that first comes to mind is just um, being able to, to, to fit a, a set on a, on a stage. Um, you have to know all the, um, the specifics. If you can't fit a certain part of that set through the backstage doors, then mm-hmm. it's not going to fit on stage. Yeah, so uh, communication with the venue is, is key. Even if you're at like a, you know, a club level, not having amp that you need or the right setup, or if you didn't request your drum kit uh, needs, mm-hmm. then you're, you're kind of out of luck for that evening. Um, and so I guess also, you know, th- there's that, all the technical stuff and the hospitality writer and the tech writer. Uh, what about working with marketers in those venues? In terms of the ones that market the show, you think? Yeah. Like how important do you think it is for uh, somebody getting out on the road, maybe at a, a smaller level than some of the shows you're used to, but communicating with the, the venues, marketer, promoter, uh, the, the booking, the talent buyer there? Um, you know, one of the, the, the examples that really stick out to me on that one, and it was, this happened, uh, it's probably like seven, eight years ago. I was on the Natalie Merchant tour and we were in Milwaukee, Illinois. And I, I don't know that I'll ever forget this, but the, uh, promoter for the show, <clears throat> um, we were doing two shows with him, one in Milwaukee and one elsewhere. But I remember that when we, uh, finished the show, he came to our dresser, came to, um, the production office and dropped off a, I think it was a four page list of emails of everyone that came to the show. And what he wanted to do was share that with the artist. And he did that with every artist because it, it, it then b- helped nurture the relationship between the artist, the, the, the booking agency and the promoter or the talent buyer at that point. Um, you know, it, it, it helps for future shows because if this show did well, then the 4,000 or the four pages worth of people that signed this email list then um, are going to get the heads up next time you're coming because this guy gave you this. Um, so it's just, in my opinion, it's just helping to build the relationship. I think it's really, really important to be able to have, to go back into a market and recognize or have that individual recognize you. It makes the relationship a whole lot easier. It makes your asks um, a lot less difficult because they know you. Um, they can expect a certain uh, work ethic from you and expect that the advance is going to be done well. So, you know, I think it's, it, the, the, the relationships are really important. And so getting someone, um, you know, showing up to a uh, venue and not having advanced, that promoter or that buyer is not going to be happy. Yeah, because you're not going to have happy production you, either. Yeah. The things that you're going to ask for, you know, there may be labor calls that they were not prepared for, which means that their their uh, their fixed costs are going to go up. So it's it's those relationships are really, really important. And it sounds like if you nail it, like you described, it's like coming home instead of going to another show when you when you're coming through a second time. Yep. And then that just helps more promoters talking about you, the more that they want to put you into their venues. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, for some people that are just getting started, um, and I don't know how much you want to speak towards this, but once you know your route and you've got your mini tour going, you know, what do you think the best way to figure out that routing, like physically driving out to the gigs are, and then your budget? Like, how does a band that's getting started budget for, like, gas per diem lodging, and then how important is it, do you think, to have emergency funds stored up? 
if you know if it's a small tour in most cases you're doing like sprinters or 12 passenger vans or even in some cases like suvs um i don't know that the routing uh would get that crazy uh with buses you obviously have to take into account their their clearance Mm -hmm. um with sprinters you sometimes do but in most cases the routing once it's done you try to stick to it um at least we have some some uh ways of cutting costs for a, a small band would be going into a venue not having hotels overnight or having one shower room for the night but in most cases a small band will be able to shower in the venue get back into that sprinter go to the next city and uh only take into account um budgeting for hotels on days off um that's smart that's what a lot of bands will do is because if they have somewhere to shower that's the venue they they can sleep at the venue during the day if that if they calls for it um but you know for a band starting off that's one of those things that you that you really have to kind of sacrifice is understanding that it doesn't always come easy sometimes you got to dig deep and you know sleep on the floor i've i've look i've slept on a church on, on, on a, a church? church pew i'm sorry on a church <laughs> pew i slept on a church pew in philadelphia um and that's true uh i was there for uh, a show of somebody that i was working with not on tour management but uh managing and um you know sometimes you just got to take those take those sacrifices yeah and that's a big uh cost saver and then the other question was you know emergency funds if you get a flat tire if um your some of your gear gets stolen out of the car things like that happen you know do you find that it's important for bands to kind of have that backup funding just in case while they're on the road yeah i mean um in pretty much all of the budgets that i put together for tours um or for one-offs for that matter um i'm always padding you know relatively well on there um not uh, some exorbitant amount because i want our numbers to be realistic but i do think that padding a budget is necessary just in case of you know any audible that happens uh like you said uh, um you know an interstate can be closed or um you know we can run into a ton of problems but in most cases you know um leaving some padding in the budget is that extra money that you want to have like that's that's the way that i always plan things out we're like i said uh we're currently working on a on a tour right now where um i put our hotels all at one number for every city and we're just hoping to chop off from city by city and luckily it's working out that way so maybe you'll have a little extra in the budget when you get home that's always the hope (laughs) is that you got a little extra in the budget yeah something to return with oh yeah and then you know day of show tips so time management making sure that you show up to the venue on time how important is it in your opinion that a band or an artist shows up aware of things like load in sound check set time set length and load out you know, uh, again, that's a that's a respect thing. I think right. that the band having respect for the venue uh, and the venue ha- giving that same respect back to the artist or the band in that case. Um, you know, if if their labor calls are 8 a.m. because you asked for it and you show up at 10 a.m., that you know, don't expect to have a, a crew that's that's pushing for you all that much because they've been sitting for two hours you know, when they could have been working and otherwise they could have been gone. Um, so 
arriving on time is not not only a thing that that um, you know that helps the relationship, but it's also it allows you ample time for you to troubleshoot any technical issues that you may have you know if there was a misunderstanding in the advance whether on the technical side or on like the hospitality side it allows you ample time to really have that discussion with the promoter because then once you're on site um and you're looking you know the the uh the promoters in the eye and the venue managers in the eye then um again it's a little bit easier to be able to, to to ask and receive at that point, um, especially if, if you've advanced it. But at this point, if, if you're standing in front of the promoter, it's just a little bit easier to get those things. Yeah, expectations are set when you when you show up two hours late. So and, you know, speaking of, of respect and and also the dynamics of the road, being on the road can put a lot of stress on everyone. Do you have any tips about how to manage that stress, how to act on the road when things aren't going your way? Mm. or in venues when they aren't going your way? You know, I personally am just a guy who uh, lets things happen. Um, and if something happens a certain way, you just have to deal with it. Um, <clears throat> again, I, I keep going back to the advance because there may not be as many things that just suddenly happen if everything is advanced properly. If everything is advanced properly, you have a kind of like a schedule of how things are going to go, of what things are supposed to be. If you kind of leave them up in the air, it's just it's it's not one of those things that you can really rely on. Um, you know, showing up on uh, on show day, I think that it's really important to uh, have that schedule already built. Like in most cases, I'll send out a day sheet the day before so that everybody knows. Look lobby calls are at such certain times so that we can get to the load in 10 minutes before we're supposed to load in um you know if um if we load in and and the stage is set and then all of a sudden um you know one of the base rigs messes up that gives us an hour and a half to go back to the you know sir or whoever the the vendor is and say we need another one and it won't mess up our our sound checker it won't mess up our start time because we've made space in there we've we've accommodated time for those things to to be worked out it sounds like it's a lot of checks and balances being organized and and number one is is kind of time management yeah oh yeah no and and and, you know um sticking to a schedule um one of the things that i that i um found out about um touring is that you go into a different city every day so the one thing that i searched for was something routine anything that was routine i wanted to figure that out and figure out how to have it the next day the next day and just keep it you know throughout the touring life is is some continuity was that Gives one you a thing, sanity. yeah. I mean, because you're going into a different hotel room, a different venue, uh, you're talking to different people every day, so that the one thing that was consistent is the, you know, is the thing that I try to keep going. What is that for you, or what have you found it to be? Forever ago, I was on a, this is was working for a promoter, and we had a show in Lafayette, and there was a um, audio visual guy who had his pink Himalayan salt and his real butter. And that's what he brought to catering all the time. And that was like his little piece of home. So is it something like that for you or or is it something else? You know, no, I just, for me, I, I, the base of, of where I work is I just try to keep a happy place. 
And so I walk in, you know, uh, handshake, respect, smiles, hellos, you know, uh, very much so how my parents raised me, you know, um, even in things like going outside of the country, you know, not for nothing, but the U.S. doesn't have the the the, the greatest uh, positioning right right now. You know, a lot of people don't have the, the greatest uh, idea of, of folks from the states. Sometimes egotistical. I mean, even on the road, I know certain individuals are just so used to a certain lifestyle that when they get outside of the states and that lifestyle is broken, things can be said and done that are taken off as rude. Um, and so I try to be as aware of that as possible and aware of the people that I'm working with. Um, if they're happy, typically we're happy. The whole thing is happy. So I try to just keep a happy environment. It's not necessarily about bringing like a rabbit's foot or, or, you know, (laughs) some, a box of jambalaya or some beignets or anything like that. For me personally, it's more so about establishing a happy, uh, a happy space where, um, you know, everybody's got their own time, you know, whether it be the, you know, rigging to uh, setting up the actual stage to backline to, you know, the everybody's got to have their time. Everybody's got to have their their uh, value and just being able to say, OK, well, I respect whatever you bring to the table. If, if you weren't bringing it, it wouldn't be done. So it's really about that. It's really just setting the foundation for a space that everybody can be you know, working and paid. Right. Yeah. That's the, the end of the, the role. I mean, end of the, I can't speak today. That's the, <laughs> the, that's the end game. Um, and you've talked about this a bunch since we've been sitting here. Um, but I'd like to ask you again, you know, what happens when everything's done right? How do you see your relationships evolve and change on the road when you've done everything you were supposed to do? You know, again, um, I, I just got back from from uh, Europe um, two days ago, but we were in Europe two months ago uh, or three months ago now. Um, and after that European tour, I, I uh, got an email from the international agent for that artist, and and it was just nothing but compliments. F- say, she, her saying that she's been receiving nothing but compliments from the promoters and that it's relatively rare that she gets that many compliments from the promoters. And it's for me, it's not nothing um, more than just wanting to establish a good working relationship so that the next time we go, they have no problems with me saying, hey, we're going to need a ride here, or hey, that dressing room isn't going to work out, or the dressing room is hot, or anything that we need, they're more than willing to do when things go well. Um, they're less inclined to do things when they don't go well. So if everything's going well, it's really just about making sure, again, making sure that everybody's happy there. You know, a DJ is happy, making sure that the artist is happy. I mean, ultimately, our, our, our end goal is that, making sure that the artist is happy before he gets there, when he gets there, and after he leaves. Um, but at the same time, I also understand that it's not just the artist. You know, there's a crew that puts together the stage. There's a band that plays the music. Uh, there's a manager that manages that whole thing. Um, at the same time, the other, the the opposite end of the of the the spectrum is the venue side of things. There's a promoter, there's a talent buyer, there are stagehands. <clears throat> there is a uh, a security, uh, someone on security that is opening and closing the gate for 
um, ground transportation vehicles to get to the venue. In a lot of cases, that's the person that I call the most important individual is that person opening and closing the gate because if they don't know you or they don't recognize your face or your name or a credential, then they're doing nothing but their job when they tell you don't come in. Yeah, exactly. They, I can count, or I can't count the number of times that I've actually gone up to a security individual without a credential and they've given me nothing but yeah sure go ahead because i've already gone up to them said hey my name is giovanni i'm the tour manager for such and such what's your name um you know so <clears throat> so really that type of thing is really just again setting uh, a foundation of you know everybody being happy here you know um one of the things that i that i uh constantly talk about um is little wayne um because he is the only artist that i've ever worked with that when he comes off stage he always thanks the stage hands so you know he'll come off stage he'll get a robe put on him and then he'll just you know hands up saying thank you to the stage hands on on their way out he's done that for years you know and whether the stage hands know who little wayne is or not that's uh that gives them something that the artist who everybody, you know, who the 20,000 people were screaming for, the, that person just came off stage and said, thank you to me. You know, so those things matter. So, again, I might not be the artist, but I'm representation of the artist. And so when I show up and I, and I go to the back gate and I say, hey, my name is Giovanni. What's your name? I'll be in and out of here, such and such. You know, is it, can I get you a water? Something as simple as, hey, can I get you a water? Are you good? You need anything? Those things can change your whole day. That, per, that will allow that individual to say, no, no, he's good. I know who he is. He's okay. And it all seems to go back to that other thing you were talking about, which is respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and building upon that. So what you do shows, uh, you know, what you do holds shows, crews, artists together before an act gets in front of their fans. And while some of us listening may never be tour managers, we may, however, advance a show or have to work in front of house people or or have to work with front of house people or venue marketers. Can you please share one story with us that exemplifies why you loved your position in the industry as a tour manager? Ooh, I think that in in live music, it's always the same story. Is uh, you know, again, I'm a I'm a live music fanatic first, uh, and then and then I'll call myself a music industry professional as well. Um, but you know. I don't know that it's a story, but it's just every night of a lot of a live performance hearing whether it be 5,000 or 500 or 20,000. Um, those are the kicks for me, you know, hearing the crowd, hearing the crowd um, throughout the night is is kicks for me hearing that many, you know, music makes me happy. I see that it makes other people happy. So 20,000 people screaming or 500 or 5,000 people screaming is 5,000 people happy. And um, although I, again, although I may not be the artist that is, uh, is the one getting this, I understand that it takes certain people to make certain things happen. Like a stage wouldn't be built if those stage hands weren't there. You know, certain things wouldn't be on stage if the carps weren't there. Um, audio engineers, monitor engineers, uh, pyro. You know, so I understand that in my position, um, uh, hurting all those things in is 
partly responsible for the good experience that these 20,000 or 5,000 or 500 people are having. So I get a kick out of being uh, partly responsible for that experience. You know, I feel that life is about moments and life isn't about, it, about experiences. And I think that music being that universal language offers some really, really beautiful experiences. And so having years worth of, you know, you know, that type <laughs> of thing is really fulfilling, extremely fulfilling. Awesome. And, and yes. I will say, I, I did a tour. Uh, I've done a couple tours with Barbara Streisand, and my mother is a big Barbara Streisand fan. And I got to take her to the show in Philly and see her cry and, <laughs> and all that stuff. So for me, that, that's kind of what made it. That's the cherry on top. Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time and for giving our listeners some tips on, you know, how to best be on the road and for sharing your expertise and experiences with us. We really appreciate you joining us here today, Gio. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Thanks for listening to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. The opinions expressed in this episode are those of the individuals talking and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of TuneCore. Check out TuneCore.com to help you distribute your music, register your original songs worldwide, and more. Connect with us on all social channels at TuneCore. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. 